21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. As an entrepreneur, you have choices and you can't just have everybody be brand new, straight out of college working for you. You've got to bring in senior leaders. The number one thing to remember about senior leaders is they are the product of a system and systems where they were prior employment. They have learned what is success in a company? What are the processes to get to success? What is the network I need to, to navigate in order to be seen correctly, to be seen as successful? At Pariveda, our company, we want people that we hire in at the vice president level, often with 15 or 20 years of experience, to we, first thing we recognize is we hired you because you're smart and you got through the process and you are successful, but wait, the way you learn to sell, the way you learn to navigate um, the, the organization in prior companies will not make you successful in our company. We teach them that what they need to do is spend time learning us and experiencing what it is with us as they go to market. So when you bring somebody in as a senior, you, you just can't trust them and say, go to market. What you need to do is say, do they represent my company in the way I want it represented? Do they know what stands behind what we're trying to accomplish? Do they understand the implications of the decisions that they're making on the way we want our customers to experience, the way we want our employees to experience? Architecting a company will happen either by default, you make decisions that build upon prior decisions, or you make it by intent, that you decide how you want your company to work. You decide how you want people to operate. You decide how you want to lead. And to make that, build that in a way that the scaffolding then allows people to attach to it and then be able to represent you well in the marketplace. You're talking about being accountable. You're talking about entrepreneurial spirit. So if we can make one more circle regarding being accountable, entrepreneurial spirit uh, in the context of who owns the pain and why you are different, but you are different. So if you can stress that out through the lens of entrepreneurship. Absolutely. It is an interesting time in uh, my industry, uh, which is technology consulting, strategy consulting, uh, companies around the world are laying off people. The traditional company takes those that are on the bench, those who are not on current contracts, not out on the world, and just slashes and says, you're not, you're not employed anymore. That's because their purpose is not about developing people. As an entrepreneur, you have choices to make when, when things get tough. And what are you going to do to hold to the purpose of your company? 
we holding our purpose as developing people, when we have to think about right-sizing our workforce, we are not looking at who's on the bench, the expedient way of just eliminating people because they just happen to not have a project. But we go through and evaluate who has the long-term fit for us. And from that, what do we have to do to navigate getting some people who might not have a long-term fit who are billable and to then put people who are not billable into that place and to have the tough conversations with our clients that we're needing to make this change and we believe it'll be a better outcome for them in the end. The pain is born two ways. One is that we broke a promise to people. We take it as a personal, as leaders, we take it as a personal reflection of something that we could have done better, where we didn't live up to, when we have to lay somebody off. And I have sat in conversations with people and I feel the pain because I, as an entrepreneur, have affected their lives. I have put them in a position where they are in jeopardy for the moment. And it causes me great pain to have to do that. And we want our senior leaders to feel the same pain. We don't want them to say, well, the CEO needs to cut heads, so we're just cutting heads. We want our senior leaders to feel that same pain and that entrepreneurial spirit that, hey, you're growing an office and you made choices that put it in the position that it needed to have some realignment and you needed to reduce your workforce. And people are being are needing to be let go because of what you haven't sold, what you haven't developed, and you need to make the choices and you need to have the conversations with them. And you need to own the decision that you did not perform to the level that allowed them to stay employed. And that spirit has to exist. And so when you, you know, whether you're running to you know, us as a couple hundred million company, a billion dollar company, at some point that can get lost. That all that comes becomes is an excuse that the CEO is making me do this. I really wouldn't want to make this cut. It's not my fault that we're having to do this. And employees see through that. There's a great um, uh, survey done by Deloitte annually on trust. And one of the one section nine of that recent report was on how employees view um, actions taken by managers at a time of layoffs. And the number one they, thing they wanted was transparency. Just be straight with me and let me know what's going on. They wanted people to uh, be clear in the messaging. They wanted people to own the decisions. And what they found was that the actions that people, the, the outcomes that employees wanted were not the outcome, were not the actions that managers were doing. And that, so as, an, as a senior leader, as an owner, as an entrepreneur, you have to watch and see when times get hard and you're making some of these tough decisions, will your employees, your managers actually execute them in a manner that reflect your values and will it leave the company in a better place? Your reputation is, you know, is built up over decades and can be lost in hours with a bad series of actions and something like a layoff. Or in your responses to a troubled time, you have a product recall, you have a bad customer service experience. All of a sudden, one client can get out in social media 
and undo years of reputation. And that can happen just with one single, you know, one single account. You know, it's an interesting uh, business study. My career started with Arthur Anderson, Anderson Consulting, Accenture. And I was at a um, seminar one time and uh, this person was speaking. He says, so how many of you heard about Arthur Anderson? Yes. How many of you know that they were, you know, uh, convicted of some wrongdoing in the Enron account? Yes. How many of you know that that was overturned? Nobody raised their hands. So all that reputation was undone because some partners started shredding paper that turned into a spiral and suddenly it was out of control that the company was in a downspin and could never recover. And even if it was in the right, it never recovered its reputation and went out of business. Don't let that happen to your company because you allow people to not understand what it is you want in good times and in bad. We often prepare for the good times. The bad times will happen. One of the biggest factors in the success of companies is luck. How do you make certain that you're doing the right thing so that luck will run out more on your time on your side than against you? So the pain is something that I feel every time we do that. When I have a client who's not happy, I want to hear it and I want to feel the pain. And I want others to feel the pain along the way. Every time we do a write-off inside of our company, that means that somebody made a decision that reflected a, a financial process that maybe we could not execute execute well and somebody we were we were over promising and under delivering and that means that the client is not happy a write-off is not something that says oh that's just an economic we invested a little bit more no you invested for a reason and typically it's because a client was not happy and we had to do something so let's go back and understand how did we get to that point where the client wasn't happy what were the signals that we didn't align to? What were we thinking when we made those decisions so that we can rethink how we make decisions and do them better next time and avoid getting to that situation? All right. If we have a company of entrepreneurs, everybody should be feeling the pain along the way. It seems that there are possibilities for a person to have entrepreneurial mind and a specific skill set for a specific group of tasks, specific job. What's your experience? What are your thoughts about that topic? When I was, um, when I go to colleges to recruit people, they ask me, you know, how do you spend your time? What do you do? It's like very, you know, casual questions to, you know, COO comes in, you want to have something to ask them, right? And I look at them and say, 98% of my time is dealing with people. When I started my career, 98% of my time was writing code. And over time, that has moved across. And you reach an inflection point somewhere around as a manager where you're looking at your career and you're saying, do I want to get more into people? Or do I want to stay more in the technical world? Technical, not just being technology, but just in understanding something in more detail. And which way do I want to go? An entrepreneur has an idea, has a spirit, has, has something they want to bring to market. Okay, They're passionate and they understand it very well. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even thought of it. And so they bring it to market and then the company grows around you. 
you get to some size and all of a sudden you're having to decide how well do I delegate? How much can I control? Because it gets beyond what you can individually influence. What is that? Now you're into the people problem. You have to be able to influence others to be able to do what you want done. You have to be able to sense when they're doing what you want done. You have to have the mechanisms. And so you lose the opportunity to spend time where you have a passion, which in many things like a software company, you wrote the code that started the company. And now you're not writing the code anymore as much. The successful ones will realize, hey, the, the code writing stuff was not what made me successful. It was the idea behind the code. What I have to do is now have more ideas generated. I have to be able, and I selected the idea that made this company successful. So I need ideas generated. I need people to help vet them. And I need to have a process for knowing that that's working well. I need people who can bring those ideas to market. I need to have people who can market those ideas. It's not all me, but it's in who I hire and how I align them that will help decide whether this is a, success, a successful venture or not. So the whole concept is, as a CEO, you are in a people business. You, are, you cannot be as a CEO. So what we find is manager is an inflection point in our business where people are having to make that transition of, do I want to stay technical or do I want to make the transition into being someone who is out there accountable? There are certain personality types that don't want to do that. And I'm not talking about ABC, but we use a, a, um, a couple of different personality um, uh, uh, systems, uh, predictive index and whole brain to understand who people are. And there's some that are more aligned with making that jump into being into the people side. And there's some that are more aligned, like a craftsman really wants to hone what they do and make it so good. But there's only so much scale that can come from that. Versus a, um, a um, uh, scholar who is willing to look and say, hey, I can understand this, but I also know I have to have people to motivate and move to make this happen slightly different from a craftsman, but more attuned to the aspect of the people. When we when we go uh, into looking for the complement that we need in our team, we want to make certain we have a lot of these personality types together. Our, our top executives look and say, who do we want to surround ourselves with? When we put teams together at the project level, we want to make certain we've got multiple personality types there as well. Because if you over-dominate one or another, you're just setting yourself up uh, for some conflict that you have blind spots that people aren't looking and finding. So look at the team that you're building, make certain that they are aligned to your purpose, your mission, and also how they think so that you get a complement of diverse thinking that will bring together the best ideas and vet them. And then when you've got your uh, ideas flowing, then you will be in a position to be able to decide you know, which ones are truly there and don't be afraid of overriding what your team is recommending because you have had the good ideas before. You need to listen to them. You need to hear them, but you need to challenge them because you have had the experience of bringing something to market and you should be able to use that and the instincts that it's developed from that so that you can test. You are the better test in many ways.
there's been a dramatic shift in the workforce. The baby boomers are leaving one year by year, they get fewer involved. Gen X often feels like they're overlooked. Millennials um, have come and they are the largest workforce coming. And then Gen Z is coming after that. And we'll see them um, more and more in the days ahead. The millennials in particular have dramatically changed the workforce because they want to know why they're doing something. Boomers and Gen Xs didn't ask, why am I doing something? They grew up just knowing I'm one, I'm a boomer. I grew up knowing I'm getting paid to do something. Somebody's telling me what to do. Um, I might want to understand why, but like somebody's made a decision, this is valuable. Millennials don't act that way. They want to understand purpose. They want to see that the company they work for has a purpose, a purpose that adds to society, that makes the world a better place. And so we think that's an overgeneralization, but as I've gone to college campuses, when I started 15 years ago, before the Gen Z started, or before millennials really entered the marketplace, there was never a question about, you know, how green were we, you know, or what were we doing to, you know, deal with uh, racial justice in the world? And now that's the common question of where do you stand and what do you, what is your, why do you have the stands you take? How are you, are you carbon zero for, uh, for your footprint? Like those questions were never around and now all of a sudden they're everywhere. And you have to understand that, that it's not that something, it's not wrong for them to have that perspective. That's the way they've grown up. They're very skeptical about certain things. But the uh, millennial generation, the biggest impact that they saw on their, on their lives was the 2008 recession. And they saw their parents and relatives and neighbors who were unable to find employment, who had dreams dashed, and they vowed never to put themselves in that position again. As parents, as grown-ups, millennials said, I don't want to be like that. They don't spend as much money as, um, as um, Gen Z and millennials don't spend as much money uh, as the Gen Xers or as the baby boomers. They are better at saving. They are more willing to train, uh, change jobs quickly if they don't find what they like. And so how are you going to make certain that you have a workforce that is there and ready to be, you know, do you want your workforce changing and turning over all the time? You, everybody knows it costs more to hire somebody than to give, you know, than to keep somebody. And so make certain that you understand the trends in what's happening in the workforce with the changes of generations. Understand how they talk about what they say and what they mean. Uh, we took our leadership through a general uh, a day of general um, generation learning, where we brought in an, a great outside speaker, uh, Jason Dorsey. If anybody's interested, wonderful speaker, and he took us through a learning process to understand why baby boomers think certain things and why Gen X thinks certain things and why Gen um, millennials do. And it was wonderful for us because we got to understand. Oh. I now th understand why they're thinking these things. And then we brought in clients who were of the millennial generation who are now buyers in companies and under trying to understand how do our clients who have these new generations moving into positions of authority, how will that shape how we sell our services? We can't be you have to have a view if you think of your customer experience it's not what do you want to 
represent and have them experience of you as a company, you can't do that without understanding who they are and how do they view the world. And so we brought in people because we had a whole company of leaders who didn't really understand that next generation that was moving into buying positions. And then we brought in another generation, another generational expert to talk about Gen Z because that's who we're hiring coming right off campuses now. And what are they trying to do? And it was really just something that, that set our company uh, in motion to change how we looked at things because it was, it was, we were out of tune. We had a bunch of baby boomers who founded the company and we realized that we were not moving as quick as the, as the world was. And so look at your workforce, make certain you understand what makes it up, what matters to them, uh, because purpose in particular is standing out as a top reason why anybody wants to stay with a company is do they believe the purpose of the company is true and honorable and just for the world. We set out with, a, with an intent to be a thousand year company. Now, nobody gets their head around that very easily, <laughs> okay? Um, then we said, well, when we say it out loud, we're gonna say we're gonna build a hundred year company. And that got people, oh yeah, okay, I can get that. It's like 3,000 hundred year companies in the world and 90% of them have 300 or fewer employees because that's about all anybody can manage in order to keep scale at a size that through generational changes of leadership, the company can hold to its purpose. So if you're in the watchmaking industry and you have a number of employees, you probably are not the founder of it in some ways. You may be, but you may be the second generation leader who still has the entrepreneurial spirit as the, as the son or daughter of a founder who are taking it and continuing on that tradition and purpose. That is something that is extremely rare in this world and is beautiful to me to see because you hold true to a purpose. And when your company has a purpose that is meaningful to employees and to customers and to the world, it can and will be successful if it architects itself well. The biggest reason why companies fail when they get to a certain uh, level of, of size or age is largely because of generational leadership changes. The company's founders have not identified successors have not found people uh, to, uh, to teach, the time to teach, and the amount of time it takes to put someone in a position where they can take over and run the next generation. In my firm, the CEO and I declared uh, 10 years ago that our success would not be based upon our next generation leader, the one that we chose to lead us, the one that we had helped train which we just had a new CEO announced a couple of weeks ago, but it would be when she found her successor and whether that successor did a better job running the company than Bruce and I did. And if we did that, then what we did is we trained our successor to find their successor and to build a better one along the way. And that's something that many entrepreneurs miss, don't do not give enough focus to along the way is Will I create a successor for what I'm trying to do here? Now, if the, if the mission of the company is to build a company, get rich, sell it, that's a mission. 
you just have to bring everybody along with that or else you're going to have a lot of people who are acquired and not very happy. And again, there's a place in, in you know, capitalist society for you know, that to happen. But if your mission is to build something meaningful that your employees can have a great experience in and you want it to extend beyond your lifetime, that takes an intent to get through that number one problem, which is that generational leadership change that people affect. And then the second thing is make certain your finances are in order. You do not need to play risks for the long term when you're trying to live for the long term. Most companies do something where they get into a position where they think they want to branch into a new way. So some of the oldest Japanese companies that had lived a thousand years died when they suddenly went from being a temple maker into a real estate mogul. And they did not understand the industry that they were moving into. And now the company's at risk. If you've got a company that you're building for the long run, it has a purpose. It has a set of skills. Do not get fancy and try and extend yourself because oftentimes you're going to move into a space where it already exists with other competitors and you don't know the game as well as they do. But you've honed success in your marketplace. You are a winner there and you can expand and grow that and find edges to it and innovate within it and be the change. And that's the third one is don't be afraid to innovate. Most companies fail because they fail to recognize the need to change what they're doing to a new product. Somebody else will invent something better than what you have done. You can look through history and there's very few things today that still exist that haven't that that have not been through some level of change over the centuries. So at some point somebody's going to come along with something better and you've got to recognize that it's not what your product is but what it does for for people. I listened to a futurist um, podcast and one of the futurists there once commented about the way that they look for new technologies that will be impactful is whether or not it meets a basic human value. And if it does in a better way than yours does today, then you need to move to it. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn at KL Stover. Uh, my address is carrie.stover at gmail.com, K-E-R-R-Y, the spelling, and would love to continue this conversation at any level with anybody. Uh, our purpose, again, is to make the world a better place by developing people towards their fullest potential. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.